Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is the Unplayable Podcast, Sam Ferris here, and this week we chat to Tasmania, Hobart Hurricanes, and Australia paceman Riley Meredith. But before we hear from Riley, just a quick reminder to subscribe to The Scoop for all things on the women's game. Host M. Collin and Laura Jolly cover all the key talking points and chat to the biggest stars of the game, including members of Australia's women's team during their white ball tour of New Zealand. So search for The Scoop Cricket Podcast wherever you get your podcasts, but right now, let's hear from Tassie speedster, Raleigh Meredith. Bowled him! Meredith with some heat! Gone! Raleigh Meredith. Bowled him! Cooper! His castle destroyed by Meredith. Raleigh Meredith, thanks for coming on the Unplayable Podcast. No worries, thanks for having me. Mate, it's been a whirlwind summer for you, from the BBL to representing your country and that IPL auction. How have you handled it all? Yeah, it's obviously been um, pretty bizarre. A couple of uh, couple of months, really. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's still still now pretty hard to take in. Um, obviously, you know, representing Australia in any formats uh, was been a lifelong dream, really. And you know, to uh, to get you know picked up in the IPL draft, especially for for the amount that it was, was you know was pretty ridiculous. I thought, and uh, yeah, it was very out of the blue. So. Yeah, it's been a strange, strange couple of months. Some big events in your life. We'll get on those a little bit later, but I reckon Aussie fans are still getting to know who you are. So let's go back to the very start. And what were your first memories of cricket? Um, I sort of, I guess, I got introduced to the to the game through my brother, uh, older brother. He's five years older than me, and he was he was a big cricketer. Um, so you know, we used to have massive battles in the backyard, and you know, obviously him being older, he was always batting. So. <laughs> I always got stitched up having to bowl to him for, for hours and then when I finally got him out, sort of game over. What was the backyard set up like? Did you have a, a shed that you couldn't hit? Um, were there certain parts of the house or the garden that you couldn't uh, couldn't hit or you get out? Yeah, we had a bit of a weird setup actually. It was sort of like grass for about 10 metres and then 10 metres of, of concrete. So, you know, it was actually probably not like I do now, but I had to pitch it up back then. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was a bit different. Oh, and were there any like uh, fielding things in place that you, you could or couldn't hit? Uh, there's a couple. There's only the only spot to hit was sort of through long on, I suppose. So, you know, you couldn't hit square. It was pretty, pretty confined. So I was just absolutely straight down the wicket, straight back at you. And whereabouts in Tassie did you grow up? I grew up in Bell Reeve, so I'm probably three minute walk from the Oval, was where my family lives. So that was pretty handy. Oh, mate, it was destiny. Just an easy way to go to work. <laughs> True. What, what about your, your first junior cricket team? Can you remember that and some of your favourite memories from uh, those days? Yeah, well, I still play for the same club now. Started in, in under nines, I think it was my first year, playing for Clarence Crew Club. So, and yeah, as soon as I could get into it, I got into it. As I said, I was a massive backyard cricketer. So, you know, as soon as I could get into some competitive games, I, I jumped into the chance and, and loved it from then. And were you always a fast bowler? I was, I was. Unfortunately, I've never, never been able to bat much. So, I think bowling's always been my my strong suit. When did you figure out, or when did it develop that you could bowl really, really fast? 
I don't know. My mum sort of talks a little bit about, you know, a few games in, in the under nines and under tens where, you know, there's a few parents a little bit a little bit worried that I was bowling a bit too quick. But, you know, I think it was just because I was I was bowling to my brother all the time and I guess sort of just developed a bit quicker than than the other kids that were playing. I wonder if the uh, the backyard setup was different if it was grass at the full end and concrete at the other end. Uh, <laughs> if you would have banged a few more in, absolutely would have loved to, but <laughs> you know I probably would have better then. So it's probably lucky. <laughs> um, what about your heroes growing up? Anyone you sort of idolised? Yeah, well, obviously, you know, anyone playing for Australia was was an idol and still is really, to be honest. But you know, guys like Brett Lee and, and Glenn McGrath, as being a bowler, you know, always. You know, he's watched every single ball of a test match or, or one day that was playing and, you know, just loved, loved how they went about it. Yeah. Did you ever, have you ever met those guys? Um, I actually haven't. I've spoken to, spoken to Bradley on commentary a couple of times, but I don't think I've ever ever met face-to-face. Yeah, okay. Well, you bowl a bit like Bradley, so maybe you have a few <laughs> things in common. Um, did, speaking of that, did you ever model your action off anyone? Not really. I think it's pretty pretty natural action to be honest I think at the moment it's just just pretty natural and you know what what, what I've been doing for a few years I was looking at some of your, your wickets uh, on cricket.com and I noticed that is your front arm that, sorry your, your, your right arm does that sort of change go a little bit wider or a little bit straighter on is that something that sort of can uh, can change in your action yeah that's probably something um, you know I still still monitor a little bit with uh, the Tigers bowling coach Griffo um, you know probably if, three or four years ago when he started coming down, I was, you know, I was out way out there and I was falling away and, you know, I was making me ball all over the place. And, you know, the last few years I've just been trying to get it, you know, in a straight line and, and a smoother path. And, you know, it's really helped with consistency and, and accuracy and that sort of thing as well. Yeah. What about uh, your first time or your first contract uh, for Cricket Tasmania? Uh, George Bailey said during your, your cap preso that you walked in the Cricket Tasmania front doors like a baby giraffe learning to walk. Is that a fair, is that a fair uh, reflection of what happened? Yeah, that's absolutely fair, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, probably not far off the mark now either, to be honest. But yeah, I think when I first got a contract, I was a bit, just a bit I don't know, clumsy, I suppose you'd call it. But you know, I was very gangly and, you know, didn't have much much body mass on me. And, you know, I was injured. I think first, maybe first three years I was contracted, I was I was pretty much injured the whole time. So didn't get much game time, unfortunately. Yeah, he said that uh, you tripped over and dislocated your elbow and you sneezed and dislocated your knee. Is that, uh, yeah, is that George well, being accurate or is there a bit of exaggeration there? Uh, a little bit of um, tax on the second one. But, <laughs> yeah, the, the elbow, that wasn't great. I was sort of just... I think we actually, we were doing fitness testing the day, I think, and we might have had a two, 2K time trial, you know, coming up. So we were just warming up in the indoor nets and just sort of, not sure, I can't tell you what happened, but just got a little bit stuck and then put my arm out to, to break my fall and then my elbow just popped out. <laughs> was that your left elbow? So it wasn't your bowling arm? No, it was my left one, fortunately. So, yeah, it was pretty gruesome and, you know, not too many of the boys were right behind me, but... <laughs> And what about the knee? What happened with the knee? Well, I've dislocated it uh, three or four times now, I think. So I'd done it a couple of times before I was contracted and we're sort of, I think we were just playing like another warm-up game again and we are just sort of, it was a bit of like an agility one and, you know, you had to try and tap your partner's knee and I was I was doing it with a guy called Ryan Lees who used to be contracted and, you know, he's, he's tried to go for my knee and I've tried to dodge it and, my, yeah, my kneecap just, just buckled. 
yeah, not, not a great history in the warm-ups. <laughs> yeah, just avoid that, mate. That's a, it's unnecessary <laughs> anyway. Uh, how about your back? Uh, fast bowlers um, always seem to cop back stress fractures. How have you fared in that department? Well, yeah, I've always been pretty lucky, I suppose. I've never really had, fingers crossed, um, you know, anything major happened to me in the back back wise I've had a couple of um stress fractures in my foot so you know I think probably that's just that's me and you know hopefully as I said fingers crossed not too many back complaints in the future yeah we'll touch some wood here for you uh when you did stumble through those cricket taz doors who who took you under their wing and, and who did you sort of gravitate towards well there's uh obviously Sam Rainbird I was really good mates with um he was on contract or still is but you know he's on contract then and um you know, I didn't have my license back then, so he used to pick me up every day for training and, and drop me off and, um, you know, yeah, take me under his wing a little bit. And, you know, I learned a lot from him, which was good. And obviously all the coaches as well were, were really good back then. What's he picking you up for? It's a three-minute walk. Yeah, I know, but training offside, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. And, and what this we're talking like, what, 2016 around this time at that point? Yeah, yeah, 2016, I reckon, yeah. Yeah, well, your first list A game actually wasn't for Tasmania. It was for the CA11 against Pakistan up there at the AB field. And that was January 2017. So you're a young fellow. Yeah. I guess you kind yeah. of still are. Uh, none for 62 off nine overs, two not out with a bat. Um, so don't don't talk too ill of your batting. Yeah. Uh, what do you remember from that game? Uh, not too much. Um, yeah, it was a bit weird, really. I was just obviously never played before. I think, I don't think really anyone from that team had played much maybe I think Trap Dean played and maybe Will Busystone they were probably the only ones who had actually played before so it was, it was a young group there was probably a few good names there actually I think Cam Green played and Will Sutherland and Josh Inglis so Jason so Sanger good, yeah. yeah it was actually a good young group Pukowski uh, uh, yeah he's a t- 10 off it? 10 off 22 balls was he there you go yeah, yeah but it was just sort of you know, awesome experience as a young kid being able to play against an international side, you know, especially when I've never played a, a list A game. So, you know, even though we, we got thrashed, but, you know, it was awesome to be out there. Do you get nervous before games? Don't get hugely nervous normally, but before my uh, the T20 international debut, I, was, I think I was saying to a few people the other night that, you know, I'm not really that that much of a nervous wreck before games. Like, I'm not, not too bad normally, but before that game, I remember just, just feeling sick in the stomach and, you know, going out for warm-up. And I was I literally, I just felt sick and I was like, I didn't know what to do. Like I was, you know, I was, I was very nervous. And you're probably just worried about dislocating something, but you got through, <laughs> you got through the warm-ups for you, you so you're fine. Um, <laughs> mate, your first, your first game for Tassie came uh, next summer. Was that like, I think it was like October 2017 against New South Wales at the Wacker and one of those old JLT Cup games. New South Wales won by a bonus point, didn't take a wicket. But but how did you feel putting on the, the Tassie colours for the first time? Yeah, it was good. I actually remember that game. I actually thought I bowled pretty well that game. I think I had a, I think I had a drop catch, Benny McDermott drop on the slips first first or second over and then a couple of balls later, another nicks between first slip and the wiki. So I think I was a bit unlucky to be honest. But, you know, I was just, I was, you know, so just proud, I suppose, to be representing Tassie, you know, as a as a lifelong, you know, childhood fan of, of Tassie, Tassie cricket. And, you know, it's something I always wanted to do. And, you know, I was just, yeah, as I said, I was just proud to, to be able to pull on the colours. Living so close to Bellarive Oval, did you used to go to a lot of games? Yeah, absolutely. Whenever a game was on over there, I'd, I'd stumble over after school or, or on the weekend and, and check it out. And, 
you know, yeah, used to love it. Absolutely loved it. How did you go sitting on the hill in the cold? Because, you know, even in summer, Hobart is pretty cold, particularly people who are who are from the mainland. Uh, I remember being there for a, for a BBL game there. It must have been 2012, I reckon. This is like January 18. I remember the date. And it was freezing. It was about 12 degrees and people on the in, on the hill and shorts and thongs and singlets. I think these guys are mad down there. <laughs> Were you one of those people? Oh, uh, usually. Um, <laughs> we, also, we also had the... Um, so my club rooms used to be at the before the the redevelopment used to be where the the Ricky Potting stand is now. So you know we used to have a great setup in there, and whenever game was on, you know they'd open the open the bar up, or whatever, and have people in. So you know I was usually if it was you know below ten degrees, I was probably stumbling in there to be honest. That's the cutoff, single figures if it's 10, <laughs> 10 degrees. Absolutely, crazy. What are some of, what are some of your, your fonder memories of seeing games at, at Bell River Oval? probably never really took too much of the games in. I was just sort of, you know, remember players and, you know, cheering on players and, you know, trying to get autographs down at fine leg and that sort of thing and, you know, yelling stuff out when I was a kid. But, yeah, just loved it. <laughs> any any choice sledges? Were you, hopefully you weren't getting stuck into the Aussies. Nah, absolutely not. I do sort of remember seeing the stands. I can't remember who I was with. It must have been a couple of mates, but Griffo was, Griffo was down at fine leg. I remember giving the old just, Griffo, give us a wave. You know, turn around and go us a wave. We're absolutely loving it. So that's that's pretty funny. It's a small world now he's catching you. Um, yeah, I know. What, what about your autographs? Was there a prize signature you were after? Any Australian player, you'd you know, you'd absolutely just sprint around the boundary to, to try and get when they were when they were fielding out there. But you know, I've got probably four or five little signature beds at home that are just full front to back. So you know, they're absolutely ineligible, but just I suppose it's just good to have. Yeah, mate, keep those ones. Uh, and Ricky Ponting, I mean, he's revered all around Australia, but is he sort of at a next level down there in Tassie? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, not just cricket fans, but, you know, any kid in Tasmania, you know, while he was playing, you know, knew his name, but just just loved him as well. You know, and the fact that he was he was so good for so long, it's just, as I said, anyone anyone in Tasmania would, you know, just absolutely love Rick, I reckon. So after that uh, that list day uh, game for the, the Tigers ever in the Wacker, you, you mentioned a couple of nicks not going to hand or being dropped or you know falling short, or whatever. Is that why you target on the stumps now? Try and take the fielders out of the out of the equation? <laughs> a little bit, I don't know. I suppose I was I was actually always taught as a kid, you know, coming through the ranks under fourteen, fifteen. You know, obviously not the great, greatest fielders in the world when you when you're playing at that level and. You know, there was always always a lot of nicks going down. So the coaches always used to say, you know, don't worry about bowling out there, bolt, bolt the stumps and, you know, take the fields out. So, yeah, I suppose a bit of that comes into it and I've just, just done that ever since. Especially when you're bowling faster than everyone else, they can't bloody see the balls. Yeah, true. About a month later after that game of the Wacker, you made your shield debut this time against the Vicks at the MCG. Uh, any different nerves for a shield game and, and how did you go about playing in that, in that four-day game? Yeah, probably pretty similar. Um, obviously, debut, pretty nervous. You know, I was, I don't know, I was sort of just pretty overall, to be honest. Um, it wasn't probably a good thing that it wasn't too long after my one day debut, I guess, that, you know, I wasn't really thinking, oh, I've got to try and crack that team. I've got to try and crack that team. So, you know, I think I bowled, bowled really well in the Futures game just before that, before that match and, um, you know, got the call from Griff to say, you know, you're flying in, you, you're going to play the next game. And, you know, there's obviously a few nerves running around, but, 
you know, had a lot of really close mates in that team that were playing already. So, you know, it was was a pretty easy adjustment, really. And you got a wicket too. Yeah. Yeah, got Dougat Dan Christian now, I think. Uh, let's have a look. Yeah, caught Matty Wade. Yeah. Yeah, nice. That was a good one. Very happy to... I think it was kind of the second inning, so I was... Yes, it was, it was nice to get the key off the back. Yeah, first innings, just uh, eight overs, none for 31, and then you... Uh, yeah. 10 overs, one for 27 in the second. So there you go, mate. Um, oh, that's yeah. right. On a flat MCG wicket, no doubt. Take that. I think he was actually doing me that match. I think Belly was turning it on. Well, uh, it's interesting because the uh, first couple of scores, 172 played 144. And then uh, Alex Dillon scores 247. <laughs> Loves a double-ton tools. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, you guys set him 453 to win and could only take the five wickets and 47 overs. So uh turned out to be yeah, a pretty fast right. game. Yeah, I think it might have been rain affected in the end as well. So mm. pretty disappointing. So that summer, you you also you sort of ticked off the the three things. You played 50-over cricket for Tasmania, four-day cricket, and then you played two games for the Hurricanes. Uh, just the two games, and then next season you'd play 13 and then sort of become a first-choice player for the Hurricanes. What was that first experience of the BBL like? Oh, it, was, it was a bit out of the blue, to be honest, because I was sort of, um, you know, we had Tamal and Joff for that year and, and they were playing the whole year, got through the whole regular season and sort of, not really, I don't know what happened, but Gary Kirsten sort of sort of said I was like, I could never even travel with the with the team at all before that. And then Gary Kirsten, like the whole regular season finished. Gary Kirsten sort of came up to me at training, was like, you'll be coming to the to the semi-final. And I was like, oh, cool. Get a triple away. Nice. And then sort of the next day we were in Perth, he said, you know, you're playing, you're playing tomorrow, semi-final. And I was like, Fuck. I was just like, didn't know what to say. I was like, because it was, I think it was the first ever match at um, Optus Stadium as well. Yeah. So, you know, there was a big buzz. I remember there being a big buzz in, in Perth about, you know, the, the stadium opening and pretty nervous before that one, especially when we got to the ground, there was, you know, about 60,000 people there. I was like, I just didn't know what to do. I was never played in front of more than, you know, 500 people before. So it was a bit of an eye-opener. And how was the crowd? Did you cop anything from the crowd? Yeah, I, can't remember. I can't remember much specifics, but I remember them being pretty ruthless and very loud. So, and I remember must have been, I think, yeah, Tom Rogers was bowling with Sean Marsh, and the day before the game, I was getting high balls out in this corner, and I was just, I was clanking them all of them. I was dropping every single one, and then Tom Rogers bounced Sean Marsh, and for some reason, I was out at deep square, and he's top edged it, and I started running in. And I was like, oh no, went so high. Somehow it's just stuck in my jukes. I was like, I still have no idea how I caught it to this day. I think I had my eyes closed. Uh-oh, trouble for Marsh. Oh, the man backs back now, comes in and takes it. A huge blow, a massive blow. It's Meredith on debut, secures it. Jeez, he was nervous underneath it, Meredith. He went backwards, he came in, eventually settled underneath it and held onto it. He took a sigh of relief so did the Hurricanes plays that's huge Mate, it was a great one of the great victories you, you, you bat first put on 210 Matty Way Pogo's Mitch Johnson all around I love reminding Mitch about that because uh, <laughs> I think he came back the next year and played really well um, it's 3 for yeah. 3 in the semi or, or whatever it was and then uh, you get the wicket of Adam Vages pretty much killed the game so happy days then you're in mm. the end of the final the, the following like three, <laughs> day, three days later just talk about whirlwind <laughs> uh, how was that I mean because the strikers were the favourites you guys were underdogs going in yeah. that game I guess we weren't really thinking about the final too much we sort of after that game we 
you know, we had a bit of a celebration and a few quiet beers together and, you know, it was really good. And then, yeah, straight the next day, straight to straight to Adelaide. And, you know, I was, you know, myself again because I'm going from Optus Stadium straight to, to Adelaide Oval. So, you know, I was probably more nervous playing at Adelaide Oval because it was sort of, you know, as as a spectator, probably one of the best best stadiums in, in Australia. So I was really excited to play there. And then, yeah, unfortunately, they just sort of killed us, really. <laughs> yeah, Jake Weatherall went big and... Travis yeah. Ed and, and kind of the bulldozer of Colin Ingram. Is he the bulldozer? I think it's him. Bulldozer, yeah. When you're playing in front of those crowds and, and the big stage, that give you a real like taste of, of what professional cricket can be like and did it sort of fuel that fire even more? Yeah, for sure. I think after that, I was just really focused, I guess, after that. And, you know, just wanted to, to sort of get back to the level because, you know, that was the end of the year and, you know, I didn't, didn't perform that well in the first two games. So I was sort of, just sort of remember thinking I didn't want that to be my last last big best experience, I suppose. And I was really keen to to get back into the next year and, you know, really try and cement a place in, in the team. Yeah. Well you played those thirteen games in the following season. Yeah. And you've made your you've made your T twenty uh debut for Australia. Is T twenty cricket your preferred format at the moment? I've heard you say you want to be an all format player, but do you think um right now T twenty cricket's where you you're best suited? Obviously you want to be a format player. Um but I think it, I think it's just at the moment. I think I'm just I'm playing my best cricket in T20 cricket, and um, you know I'm really passionate about playing you know a lot of four day cricket and one day cricket. But you know I'm probably just at the moment not performing as well as I am in in T20 cricket. But you know I'm really really um, keen to find I suppose the formula to to four day cricket. And is it tough being such a, a an out and out fast bowler to to pedal back? Is that one thing you've really sort of got to mm. I guess play to learn? To figure out, yeah, I think that's just sort of something I'm almost just just figuring out now. You know, I've been speaking to Griffo a little bit about it, but you know, in T20 cricket, it's sort of just, especially for me, I've got about a 40 meter run up, and I'm, you know, I'm basically sprinting in 40 meters straight, and then you know, trying to bowl as hard as I can for four overs. But you know, it's probably not not going to work in four day cricket. You know, trying to do that, so you know, just trying to you know, still be a fast bowler and, and that, but you know, just find just that little gear that's that's a bit more sustainable, I suppose. How have your fitness levels changed since you sort of stumbled through the the doors, uh, what, four or five years ago now, to where you are now? Because, you know, fast bowling is pro- perhaps the most gruelling uh, profession in cricket. Probably wasn't the fittest bloke when I, um, when I arrived through the, the cricketers' doors, but, yeah, I've definitely put on put on a fair bit of size. I reckon I've put on, you know, 10 to 10 plus kilos since, since, uh, since then and, you know, I think it's obviously a big part of the game and, you know, we do a lot of that down at Dan Hobart. So, you know, definitely in all facets, definitely a, a far superior athlete, I suppose. And, and, you know, hopefully I can can go a bit better next year. One of the things that was weighing you down for a long time was that magnificent moustache on your face, which is sadly, <laughs> no, sadly no longer with us. Where did that uh, come about? And, um, geez, you had a real style going. It was really sort of the French twist at the end there. I really, really disappointed to see that go, to be honest. But it was sort of just, I don't know how it came about. It was sort of when we went into to lockdown in Hobart, we couldn't leave the house. I just sort of got a bit lazy and didn't shave for for about a month. And then, I don't know, it was just looking it was looking really shocking. And so I decided to shave around the, around the sides and, and leave them. I was a bit of a joke. And then it sort of just stayed. I don't know. And then my girlfriend wasn't too happy with it, so... We decided to to chop it off. 
Yeah, the Mitch Johnson handlebar moustache, the Riley Meredith um, twirly moustache. It's a <laughs> thing in you fast bowlers. Uh, well, I mean, that, that brought you a bit of attention, as did your, your, your bowling and stuff. Uh, and, and the love that you've been getting from, from Shane Warne, I mean, it feels like <laughs> the last three or four years. I'm sure you've been asked about this before, but what was it like? I mean, I don't think you've met Shane, right? So it was yeah, a, is it a bit strange to sort of get all, all these these compliments from a from a legend that you've never met and he's just a guy in, in the commentary box? Yeah, it's definitely pretty bizarre. Um, I guess it's just one of those things you get used to, you know, as a, as a big bass player, really, you know, everyone's going to have an opinion on you and that sort of thing. But, you know, to be, to be talked up, you know, pretty consistently by, like you said, one of the one of the legends of the game and, and probably one of Australia's best ever cricketers is um, you know it's pretty special and you know it's hard to describe really because you know it's just I don't know it's just definitely has to see confidence when you hear someone of that caliber sort of you know talking up your game and and sort of you know putting you into 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 his selections and you know thinks you thinks you're ready to play for Australia and that sort of thing. Yeah, how do you go with? Um media and the scrutiny are you a player that will read everything or are you someone who just sort of block everything off I don't know I definitely have, like to have a little bit of a uh, a peek at what people are saying but you know I'm not not really going to take it to heart or anything like that obviously it's part of the game now and, and everyone's got to have an opinion you know whether it's on Facebook or, or Instagram or anything like that but you know it's just yeah you've just got to find that balance of of you know reading reading some stuff but but you know, not taking it personally, whether it's good or bad. Yeah, read the good stuff, ignore the bad stuff. Pretty easy way yeah, to do it. Exactly. How's your game developed? You talked about how you put size and you become more athletic. But if you went back and saw some footage of yourself when you were bowling that CA11 game against Pakistan to to where you are now, what do you think have been the biggest changes you've made? Oh, I think just obviously, you know, consistency and that sort of thing. But you know, back then I was probably just sort of running in and bowling and. You know, I wasn't really trying to structure structure an over or, you know, structure a wicket sort of thing. I was sort of just going one ball at a time and I was, I'd say, oh, this ball I'm going to, you know, try and nick him off and then next ball I'm going to try and blow his pad off and then next ball I'm going to try and rip his head off sort of thing instead of, you know, trying to structure out a complete over and, you know, figure out how I'm going to get good batters out. Yeah, okay. And who's helped you with that? There's probably a lot of people, to be honest. You know, obviously, Griffo's bowling coach has been... You know, a massive influence in in my bowling career, and you know, we've got guys like Jacko Bird down there, and and Sids now, and you know, those guys are really good to just to just be sounding boards, really, and just you know, go talk bowling, and you know, get ideas off them. What's uh, Pete Siddle's influence been like since moving to Tassie? Yeah, he's been awesome. You know, I think ever since he came down, he's he's fitted straight in, and you know, all the boys love him. He's he's a great bloke. You know, he's he's an absolute character, and yeah, everyone loves her, loves that, and. And obviously, it's it's pretty handy having someone with as much international experience as him come into your side. So, you know, whenever he can play, everyone's always pumped to play with him. I always found uh, since during his uh, international playing days, he was a great trainer and preparer. Really didn't leave too many stones unturned. Is that something he sort of imparted on you guys? And are you kind of that meticulous with your preparation and training? Uh, probably not, to be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, it's probably definitely an area that that can be improved, but. Yeah, going back to Sid's, obviously, he's, he's ultra fit, you know. He'll ride his, his bike, you know, bloody 100 kilometres, 100 kilometres a day. So, you know, but, you know, he's as I say, he's absolutely ultra fit. And he's, what, he's probably 36 now. So, you know, it's probably a great role model for, you know, all us other bowlers. 
Yeah. So then you get you get picked on that T twenty two to New Zealand. Warney was up and about. He loved the selection. <laughs> uh, he didn't play the first couple of games, and then you come in for for Daniel Sams, who's also sort of starting his international career. When did you find out that you were going to play that that third game, and what was the experience like getting that cap by George, a fellow Tasmanian? Yeah, well, I found out the. Um I think it was the day before the match. I think um, George sort of came up to me after training. It was, it was sort of like, oh, just patted me on the back. He said, "What well up, mate?" And I was like, "What's up?" And he's sort of like, "You're in next game playing." I was like, oh. "Didn't really expect it because you know we played pretty well the last game." So I was like, oh, "All right, all right." So it took me a while to sink in a little bit. I was sort of pretty quiet on the uh, the bus home, but you know, then I got to my room. And I was sort of you know, messaged my girlfriend and my mum and I was sort of like, geez, I'm, I'm playing. You know, obviously they were, they were wrapped for me. So, yeah, it was just pure excitement. And then to to get to the ground, as I said, I was feeling bloody sick. You know, I was nauseous and, you know, walk, walking out to the ground to mark my up, I was stumbling around, you know, so many thoughts going through your head really, like, you know, how are you going to bowl and how are you going to do and how's the game going to go and that sort of thing. And then I guess when George sort of got in, got in the circle and, and George started telling his, his story. It was, I was just a bit, bit more calming and, you know, just granted me a little bit. It was it was good to, to get that from George. In the end, as soon as I got one on the pitch, really, it was, I was good to, I felt good to go. So, yeah, it just went from there. George says in the, uh, in the, in the Cap Prezzo that um, your nickname is Fadunk. Uh, am, I, <laughs> am I saying that right? I couldn't quite hear. Is it, is it Fadunk? And is that something you, you're the opposition of, of nicknamed you? Well, actually, I actually didn't know until he said it then, but apparently. So is, is Fadunk just like the way you bowl or is it, I don't, do you know where it comes from? I assume so. I'm not sure. I assume it's just, I don't know, yeah, the ball going past. Yeah, right. Well, that's not <laughs> a bad, it's bad, not a bad nickname to have. Um, yeah, not a bad rap. On the, on the field, mate, you said you were so nervous, but performed exceptionally well in that first game. First couple of mm. weeks, Cyphered, and then you get Kane Williamson inside the power play. Um Talk us through those wickets and, and, the, and the big one that came because you get him uh, a couple of games later, I think, uh, for like a golden yeah, duck yeah. or second ball duck. How, how, how was it getting Saif at first and then, and then Williamson? I'm sure those nerves have melted away by then. Yeah, it was, I don't know, it was a pretty weird feeling getting the first wicket. Um, I think the first, my first over, I was getting a little bit of tap. I think Martin Guptill to charge me third ball and, and build me back over my head for six. I was sort of like, oh, fair enough. This is, this is international cricket, I suppose. And then, yeah, I think last ball of the over, Seifert just just sort of just a pretty average ball just on the stumps. And, yeah, he's just top-edged it. I was pretty nervous when I went up, to be honest, because it was in Wellington. It was so windy. Anything that went above the stadium was just blowing an absolute gale. So it was a great catch from Stoyne. And, um, I don't know, it was just sort of a wave of relief, I guess, just washed over me when it, when it got caught. So it was, it was a great feeling to stand one. And then to be able to get, obviously, Williamson as well, I think the next over was that was massive. Yeah, and that was a great turnaround from the Australians because 0-2 down in the series, you come back, win that game, win the fourth game, and then you go into the decider of Williamson. It wasn't Australia's day in that, in that fifth game, but picked up another couple of wickets. Despite the loss, I mean, how was the group after the series and how did you find your first uh, tour with the, the other team where you, where you actually played? Yeah, it was an unbelievable trip. Like I said, um, you know, it was an awesome group, really good bunch of guys. Um, and, you know, it was really, even even when we were 2-0 two, two down, it was, you know, we were all really positive that, 
you know, we were playing the right way and, you know, we were, we were on the improve and, you know, that we could we could get back and we could win win three in a row, you know. Even before that, my first game, you know, that was all the talk was about that, you know, we could still win 3-0 down, you know, no one's doubt, ah, we could still win, you know, 2-3. So no one was doubting that. And, um, you know, I suppose that positive influence in the change rooms, you know, no one was sort of on edge or, you know, was was down or flat or anything like that. You know, it was really good to to be able to, I suppose, debut in that environment that, you know, it was just sort of go out there, do your thing and, you know, everyone's backing you and, and you know, We've got this sort of sort of feeling. Yeah, because you toured with Australia over to the UK for the T20s on one day. It's back in what's August September last yeah, year. Yeah. But then you you played it over there in New Zealand. What do you reckon the biggest difference is between sort of a domestic away trip and, and a full on international? What are some of the, the the things that you found were were pretty noticeably different playing for Australia? I think it's the biggest thing that I that I think about is sort of like you bowl to to a team and you. You get smacked one game by by two blokes, and then you have to roll up and you have to bowl to them again. So I think I don't know. I was pretty nervous coming into that, and sort of you know how that would sort of feel. I suppose if if you know a couple of batters got the wood over you early, that you know you had to keep bowling to them, and you know you had to change your plans. But I suppose I don't know. It's just sort of definitely a different environment. It's probably good to go over to New Zealand somewhere that felt. Similar to Australia, mm. I guess, in, in a sense. And, um, yeah, it's just, I don't know. I suppose everyone's just so knowledgeable that you can, you know, you can talk to any single person that is on the trip and, you know, learn something really. So, you know, it doesn't matter if they're playing or not playing, you know. Guys like AJ, AJ Ty and Jason Berenoff on the sidelines, you know, heaps of experience. So, you know, it doesn't matter who you're talking to, you're always learning around training and that sort of thing. And, you know, talking to experienced cricketers, which is really good. Yeah, I was going to say that you had a couple of Tassie players over there with your Wadey, Ben McDermott, but did you sort of click with the, the fast bowling cartel, I guess, um, you know, the, the famed fast bowling cartel? Did you or do all you quicks sort of get together and did you find it easy sort of chatting to these guys who for so long had been your rivals? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously fast bowlers are pretty world renowned as being great blokes so you know it's pretty easy to pretty easy to fit in there but you know you've met you met everyone before before that anyway like you know really good match with Richo before that tour and you know I've had conversations with pretty much pretty much every other bowler on the trip so it's not like you go you're going in and you know you've never spoken to these guys before or or anything like that so you know I suppose it's not too much of a, a learning curve really does that mean there are no more bounces at these guys now? Is that, is that a rule that you guys have all accepted? No, definitely, definitely not in the nets, but I think once you get a new game, anything goes really. The other thing I was going to ask you about in, in George Bailey's uh, Cap Prezzo, he said, if, if in doubt, think WWED, what would what would Elton do? Who, who's, El, who's this Elton? Is it is it the great man Elton John or is it uh, someone else? <laughs> no, Elton's my uh, my dog. He's my uh, <laughs> my great uh, little greyhound, and he's uh, yeah, he's got rain in the house at the moment. So you know, I think that was a good message to take in, to be honest. So when you're at the top of your mark, Martin Gupta's hit you for six. You got to think, what will my baby greyhound do? Makes sense. <laughs> Absolutely, just steaming out, I think. Before that, you had the the IPL auction and that one, you know, 
obviously is, is a life-changing experience for you. Can you kind of um, explain to us how that night unfolded? Because it would have been very late in New Zealand. It was late in Australia, even later in New yeah. Zealand. And, and how was your reaction sitting through it? Because um, I reckon, were you after Jai? Yeah, I, was, I think I was, I was probably a good hour after Jai, I reckon. Yeah, so I was watching him and I was like, far out. You know, it was obviously unbelievable. It was insane to even watch that about Jai. And I was like, far out. That's absolutely mental. You know, you get that that amount of money, and then you know, I suppose a few other big a big rollers went through, and you know, Chris Morris and, and those sort of guys. And then you know, I was probably I don't know what time it was. It was probably one one thirty, close to two a.m. in New Zealand. And um, as I said, like I wasn't I was not expecting you know hardly a bid really. I was like, oh, you know, maybe I'll get lucky and get you know one or two bids and maybe I'd go over there, but. But yeah, it sort of just took off, and you know, I didn't have any idea that those those teams were were really interested in me at all. So it was, it was pretty bizarre watching, and you know, I had my I was talking to my girlfriend on on um, FaceTime after the first couple of bids, gave her a ring, and you know, I was like, turn it on, turn it on. <laughs> we were sort of both watching, and you know, we were both just sort of shell shocked, like we just didn't know what to do. Really, she was like. She's like, what, what is that? What's that mean? What's that mean? And I was yeah. like, I was there trying to like, trying to get it on the uh, on the Google, and I was like, I don't know. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was, it was crazy. It doesn't really feel real. It still doesn't really feel real, to be honest. Like, um, you know, it's bizarre. It's just sort of a number out there, and you know, it's a crazy number. But I don't know. It's just it's just a strange feeling. Like, it doesn't, as you said, it doesn't feel real at all. Like. Don't know, I guess got to go there and try and try and live up to it now. And you said you haven't been to, to India or, or Asia before. What have your teammates or people you've spoken to told you about the IPL and playing in India? I haven't actually spoken to too many people about it, but you know what I've you know what I've been speaking to is just sort of you know do my thing and go over there and, and bowl fast and you know don't try and you know change the wheel I suppose, but just do what you know you do do well and you know I'm sure it'll be fine. Well, don't spend the money just yet, mate, because you get taxed half of it. So uh, <laughs> true. Keep that in mind. Um, what about <laughs> what about away from the game? What do you like to do when you're not playing cricket? Yeah, not too much to be honest. Um, no, nah, I like to hang out with like friends and family. You know, as most people do. Um, as I said, I've got got a greyhound. We're usually fostering another one at the moment as well. So you know that that keeps me and my girlfriend pretty busy. And yeah, no, nah, not too much. I'm, more of a relaxer than anything, to be honest. Um, play a little bit of PlayStation, but but yeah, I like to like to keep it pretty low key most of the time. And once you came back from New Zealand, uh, can you talk us about the, the decision making process about how you didn't actually end up going to play Victoria? Because if you had, you may have jeopardised the whole season. Well, sort of. I don't really know, to be honest. Like um, I was, I was ready to. I had a flight booked for for seven thirty on on Tuesday night to to head up to Victoria, and then our um, Tigers GM sort of gave me a call in the afternoon and was like, he was like, oh, what what time's your flight? And I was like, oh, not till not till seven. And he said, oh, all right, just just hold your horses, sort of thing. Like, um, you know, there's a chance that you might not be able to go. And I was like, oh, all right. So then he called me back in in an hour or so, and he said, look, like. You're not going to be able to let it go because if you play, then you know, it sort of jeopardizes the competition, I suppose. So, 
you know, they made the decision to, to, to rule me out and, you know, try to look after the comp, which is probably the right decision in the end. So of all the things you've done this summer, million dollar IPL contract, BBL, playing for Australia, saving the domestic summer, Riley Meredith. <laughs> you can yeah, put that on crazy. the mental piece. Yeah, put that on the mental piece. What about, <laughs> what about uh, future goals? Uh, you've talked about being a three-format player. Is, is the baggy green the number one target for you? Absolutely. You know, somewhere down the line, I'd absolutely love to, to earn the baggy green and, and you know, represent Australia in, in all three formats would would probably be my ultimate goal. Um, you know, you, you see these guys that are doing it at the moment, you know, your Mitch Starks, your Pat Cummins, those sort of guys. And, you know, you you want to be them really. Like you, you look up to them and, you know, you try and, try and copy how they're bowling and that sort of thing. And, yeah, I mean, obviously that's, that's probably the goal of any cricketer, but, you know, it's just how am I going to get there is, is probably the biggest thing. And for you, is it bowling fast? I, I, I know Mitch Stark has got on his wrist effort, bowl fast. That's kind of his his motto. Is that similar mm. to you? Are you just trying to go in there and hit the wicket as hard as you can every ball? I think definitely, you know, and I've talked to, to Starkey about that when we were in England as well, that, you know, there's not many people who can, who can bowl, you know, around 150. So, you know, it's an absolute, it's a weapon. So you've got to, you've got to use it really. And if you're not, you know, if you're bowling, 130s, mid 130s. You know, you're not, you're not doing your service to the team correctly, really. So you know, it's about, as he says, you know, bowl as fast as you can, and you know, try and make something happen. When you when you are bowling quick and you sort of glance up at the scoreboard and you see a, a 150, 155, something like that, does that sort of get the the blood pumping? And do you ever think, right, let's go for 160 here? <laughs> uh, it does get the blood pumping, absolutely, and you know. You, you sort of know when you're when you're bowling a little bit quicker than usual. You know, you can just feels like everything's going right, and you know you're not, I suppose, using too much effort, and you know it's just coming out naturally. But you know, when you when you look at the scoreboard and see see a high number like that, it's absolutely it gets you going. And probably not thinking about bowling 160, but hmm. definitely trying to crack it up as high as I can. Has Starkey been a good a good uh, peer to, to lean on with this type of stuff? Yeah, he's, you know, he's unbelievable. He's an unbelievable cricketer, you know. He's done it in all three formats, like I said, and, you know, he's got a great brain. He's probably probably Australia's best ever, you know, one-day bowler. So, you know, to to be able to bounce anything off him is, is great. And, you know, he's he's more than willing to, to, you know, share his knowledge and, you know, give you tips on what, what he thinks you can be doing. Right. Well, you're off to Punjab. Do you know when you're heading off to, to uh, India for the IPL? First uh, of April, I think. I think Fridays, so yep. not, not too long now. Well, there you go. Well, mate, we wish you all the best. Thanks for, for coming on. You got a couple of games with Tassie left, and then uh, yep. heading over for the IPL. So, uh, mate, congratulations on all your successes this summer, and, and we wish you all the best. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for having me. That's it for this week's episode of the Unplayable Podcast. We will be back next week, but until then, for all your breaking news, live scores, and video highlights. Head to cricket.com.au and the CA Live app. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.